Gentlemen, I got word uh, as we were beginning today that a group of guys went to go pick up a man by the name of Don Anderson. Don's 91 years old. And as they arrived, uh, the paramedics were there. He had a heart attack this morning. And uh, he was coming to this conference uh, today. So I promised uh, that man that was going there to pick him up uh, to come here today. We don't know if he's made it. Uh, yet. Uh, there's, there's no word of that yet, but um, I promise that we would pray for him. So let's invoke Our Lady's intercession. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We ask you, Mother, to be with him as we always pray at the hour of our death, that you embrace him, that you help him, that you heal him through your tender prayers as his mother, whatever it be in God's will. We ask, Mother, that you help his family and all of us understand. We pray together. For Don, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Most important thing we can ever do for each other, men, you talk about the battlefield, is to pray. It's the most important thing we can do for one another. Now for the other guy. Coach of the sixth grade girls' league. <laughs> Host of the weekly radio show and podcast, Man Up on Iowa Catholic Radio. Joe regularly speaks on the importance of living out our call to authentic masculinity. He's a husband, father, businessman. He was named one of Des Moines' 40 Under 40 honoree in 2015. Joe and his wife, Kristen, live in West Des Moines with their four children. Uh, this man is a dear friend of mine, and I can tell you from the heart. Uh, in fact, we've become so close over the last couple years. Two nights ago at a restaurant, my seven-year-old son looked over at me and said, Dad, which side of the family is Mr. Stopulus from? yours or mom's. Uh, he, but I can honestly say he's a brother in Christ. And uh, I don't think of any other man. I, I can't think of any other man that I'd rather up here talking about it. I've seen his conversion uh, take place over the course of these last few years uh, in and through our Catholic faith. And the effect that he's having on men all throughout this diocese of Des Moines is really something beautiful. God's using him and I think taking him to even greater heights. A leader in men's ministry here, Joe Stopulus. All right. Uh, so my sixth grade team is, we, we, I'm the leadingest coach of all time, 358 and 14. Uh, unbelievable. Let's start in prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, for those of you who don't know who I am, which is probably most of you, you're probably thinking, man, Bishop Jonesen and Matt Campbell just warmed up for this guy. This is going to be pretty good. It's going to be a pretty good day here uh, at the Iowa Catholic Men's Conference. So say, thanks for sticking around. Um, so I'm here. So Leonetti's a big Cyclone fan. Bishop's a big Cyclone fan. I think, I think Matt cheers for him as well. And... So I represent uh, the University of Iowa. So I know there's some Iowa fans here as well. See, see, see. And so I, we had to balance it out. So that's why I'm up here. It's the only reason I'm here. Um, and there's a quick story I want to share because I'm going to extend an olive branch, as it were. 
two, two guys, Iowa State fan, Iowa fan, um, they die. It's a true, true story. They go to heaven. Um, yeah, so I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So they go to heaven, and they're in heaven for a while. And one of them turns to the other and says, Hal. says, yes, Hank. Their names are Hal and Hank. It's a true story. And says, what's, what's up, Hank? says, remember that, that saying, is this heaven? No, it's, it's Iowa. I do remember that. He goes, I'll tell you what, I think it's better here. He goes, really, why, why do you say that? He goes, well, I've been here an awful long time. And unlike Iowa, I, I, I still haven't seen a single Nebraska fan. All right, thank you. <laughs> it's the best conference ever. He just made fun of Nebraska, said there's none of them in heaven, and then walked off. We need more of that guy. All right. So as John mentioned, I've now I've offended like five people. I got most of these people behind me. Uh, so my name is Joe Stopulus. I've had the pleasure of the last five years or so hosting a radio show on Iowa Catholic Radio, and it's given me a, a really great honor to interview some of the great minds in the church. Uh, Father John Ricardo, who you saw up there. Uh, Father John Ricardo, Father Mike Schmitz, Peter Kraft, uh, list goes on. I've had just a really great opportunity through Iowa Catholic Radio to do that. Uh, and it's really, what you're going to hear from this talk is a lot of their ideas. I steal a lot of content. Uh, and so you're going to see that. So you're going to hear a lot of that throughout the talk. I've also learned from them a reoccurring theme. And the reoccurring theme that I'm hearing is that there is a crisis of masculinity in the church and outside of it. And, and I think you guys know this. I mean, I don't think I, don't think I need to explain it necessarily. I will, I will do that. But first I want to talk about kind of what the problem is, and then I want to talk about what we can do as men to change that, what it looks like in our lives to do that. So I'll give you a quick cultural reference. Top of your head, real quick, 1970s father on TV. Name one. No, no, that's a terrible example. He's 1980s. 1980s. All right, I'll name him for you, okay? Mike Brady, how's that? Uh, uh, You had the uh, Cleaver, Beaver Cleaver's dad, whoever that guy is. Ward. Flavor. Uh, I, I like uh, what's Sound of Music, so like Captain Van Trapp. You had good, strong men. You know, that was, that was a lot of the famous dads back then were strong, strong men. Name a TV dad today. Tim Allen. That's actually a good one. But that was 1990s. I'm going to go Homer Simpson. That's what Homer Simpson, Peter Griffin. These are the, this is what the Hollywood thinks of you people. This is basically the best representation we have of men today is, is Homer Simpson and, and Peter Griffin. I, 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 I say that as a joke, but at the same time, I think you see it. I think that the, the role of the man has been, has been downgraded. The importance of the man has been downgraded. Uh, and I think the stats will bear this out. So in the 1960s, one in 10 ch- children were born without a father, had no father growing up. Today, it is four out of 10. So it was 10% in the 60s. Today, it's 40%. Over half of millennial births are to unwed mothers. So we're seeing this, in, we're seeing this trend uh, in, in society. And obviously, divorce rates at 50%. The stats go on and on. The importance of a father cannot be understated. So I think we're starting to see this. So we saw this de- decline in the 60s of fatherhood. Now we're starting to see what are the ramifications of that. Uh, students uh, who have two parents at home are 43% more likely to have A's. A child of a fatherless uh, a father's family is seven times more likely to get pregnant, three times more likely to be incarcerated. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. The importance of a father can truly not be understated. 
And that's what I'm here to talk to you guys about. In the church, it even goes further. A study was done probably 15 years ago or so. In results of children keeping the faith, if you have two parents that both go to Mass, or go to this is kind of non-denominational, two parents who are devoted to their faith, 33% of children will stay in the faith. About 25 will leave, and the other half will kind of wallow in between. They'll be kind of, they'll show up every once in a while. So 33% will stay. If you remove the mother and the father stays, those numbers don't change much. They kind of stay about the same. If you remove the father, you lose that 33% that stay in the faith down to three. That's how important the father is. And that 25% that leave the church goes up to 43%. It is imperative that fathers, that they, your children look to you. People look to the father as a leader in the faith and the family. I, can't exp- I cannot tell you enough how important it is. Now studies are starting to bear it out, starting to show uh, the results of that. So passing on the faith is, the re- is and it's biblical too, so it's biblical. The, uh, all the commands in the Old Testament are to the Father. Fathers, enjoin this on your children. Fathers, carry the faith. It's over and over again. They're putting it on the fathers. So what is Satan's best attack? It's pretty easy. He attacks the father. If the fathers are so important that children will stay in the church, if the father stays in the church, if it's so important to have men, good, strong men, why not go after them? It's the easiest thing to do. So let's look at the culture today. What is is going on in the culture today? Well, there's a a lot of things, quite frankly. So the first thing I'm going to talk about, and was mentioned in the prayer, and the bishop mentioned earlier, is the scourge of pornography. This is something that just didn't quite, frankly, exist didn't exist 30 years ago, and it couldn't physically, without the internet, uh, do what it's doing today. Some, some stats to warm you up on this, on this beautiful morning. Uh, 35% of all internet downloads are pornographic in nature. 35%. Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined don't get as much traffic as pornography every day. A man who, oh, another great one. This is really good. The pornography industry makes more money than the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and the MLB combined every year. And last one, this one is absolutely sickening from 2016. Uh, One website, a single website, had 4.7 trillion hours of pornography watched on one website. That is over half a... Half a million years, 500 millennia of hours watched on one website in one year. Sobering. Sobering statistics. Um, People who have uh, extramarital affairs are 300% more likely to admit uh, to to viewing pornography. I mean, I I don't need to, I I think we get it, right? So Satan has attacked men by making it affordable, uh, anonymous, and accessible. So pornography is everywhere, it's free, it used to have to kind of go to a shady, like a you know, kind of a crazy, creepy store and, like, walking with a mask on. Like, you don't have to do that anymore. You can just have it on your phone. It's everywhere. So that's the first thing. Think of, think of sports. Matt Campbell, I, I'm a diehard Iowa fan. Sports have become religion for a lot of people. I, I love sports, but I've seen it take over people's lives. You have the ability now to, to play video games, watch sports, completely veg out in a way you never used to be able to. Up until 1950, you couldn't do that. I mean, you could, there's, only, there's only three channels. I mean, before that, I mean, you couldn't. 
there's not a lot to do. Uh, I mean, to, to physically just check out of being a father. Today, it is rampant. Our ability, so in those stats I used, a lot of those were to do with absent fathers who aren't even in the home at all. I would argue that those stats would bear out for fathers who, who are at home but aren't, aren't really there. They're just watching TV, they're playing video games, they're kind of just checked out. They're not being the leaders in the faith, but they're at the house. So Satan is coming after the men. And I, again, I think that makes sense. It's an easy game plan. Why not do that? So what can we as men do today to answer the call that God has for us? How can we rediscover our call to masculinity? And I'm going to talk about three things today. I'm going to talk about rediscovering our mission. What is our mission as men? What does it look like? I'm going to talk about rediscovering the sacraments as a way to live out that mission. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about uh, the importance of authentic Christian friendships. So what is the mission? Each of us has one mission in life. My friend John Leonetti, I don't like quoting him too much. He's got a big head, so I don't want to get too far ahead of himself. But he uses the quote a lot. and It's not he didn't make it up, obviously, but... There's the only tragedy in life is to not become a saint. One tragedy in life. Saint with a, with a lowercase s. Capital S, St. John of the Cross, you know, any other, just name any other saint. All capital S saints are saints that the Catholic Church has deemed saints. Lower S saint is anyone in heaven. So every single person in heaven is a saint. Our goal is to become saints. So the only tragedy in life is to not become a saint. So how do we become saints? Well, how do we get to heaven? I, I'm not here to uh, dive deep into Catholic theology. I, I mentioned on the show I'm not a theologian, but I also don't want to be a heretic. So you cannot earn your salvation, right? So no one here, through their good works of really trying hard, can earn salvation. The only way we earn salvation is God's grace and our response to it. Matthew seven twenty one says, Not everyone who comes to me and says, uh, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. So our response to God's will in our life. How do we know what God's will is in our life? I think that's one of the other crises today, is that people don't really think about that. They're not, they're not praying and trying to find out what God's will is for your life. And that is how our salvation is worked out, through fear and trembling and response to God's will in our life. So I love this analogy. Again, you, I steal this from all my... All my stuff is not copyrighted. It's stolen from everyone. So this golf analogy is probably Father John Ricardo, obviously... Uh, any golfers here? Looking over there, a lot of guests. So there's a lot of good golfers in the in the room. When I step up, when I step up to the tee box, do you guys want to know my? I'll give you a little insider information here. My swing thoughts. So swing thoughts are very important in, in golf. What is your one thought during your swing? Mine is, don't hit it in the woods. <laughs> it's a very important swing thought. Okay. Don't be lying three on your next shot. That's all I'm thinking about. It's, oh, God, just, just let me hit the next shot. If it's in the rough, I can, I can maybe get it close to the green chip on, have a putt, have a shot at this thing. But that's really my main, my main goal is to not have to re-tee it. Or, you know, so that's, that's all I'm doing. When Tiger Woods steps up to the tee, do you know what his, his first thought is? Where's the pin? If the pin's on the left and it's low, he wants to keep the ball below the hole. Well, he might want to have his drive go off to the right to get around the dog leg left to understand his best shot at getting the approach shot to where he wants the ball to be to make the putt. Professional golfers start at the goal. They start at the end goal of life 
and work back, and every shot works towards that. They don't want to be like me and end up in high school hitting the ball out of bounds, and now in life, I'm scrambling to make par. We need to live our lives like professional golfers play golf and think of what is the goal? How do I become a saint? What do I need to do to get there? And how do I avoid hitting into the woods and setting myself back a few strokes? I think this looks different. So our, our goal, our call as men will, will change throughout our lives. So the first thing I want to talk about, this applies to all men, but I'm going to kind of talk specifically to the younger men here. Um, so what is your call in life right now as a young man? To me, it's the school of virtue. Catholic Church really hones in on four, four major virtues. Prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. Your job today, and this is really a job for all of us, and I'll come back to these a lot, is to grow in virtue. Prudence. Wisdom. This is the, car, this is the number one virtue, because everything else flows from underneath of it. Prudence is wisdom. It is making prudent decisions. What car I should buy what house I should buy, what job I should take, what friends I should hang out with. Prudence guides every decision you make. You need to work on, on becoming prudent. One thing with the virtue, this, this is Aristotle, the virtues are habits. Okay? To be a virtuous person, if I make one prudent decision, am I a prudent person? No. I just got lucky. I made one, I got, I got, if I'm temperate one time with my girlfriend... Is that, is that my temperate person? Am I a virtuous person? No, I got lucky. They're habits that are formed by doing them over and over and over and over again. So the virtues are habits. They're good habits. So prudence. Justice. Justice is giving one his due, what is rightfully due to them. So that could mean a lot of things. It could mean giving thanks to someone who gave you something. It could mean if you are borrowing your neighbor's lawnmower and you break it, you're going to replace the lawnmower. It's also, so it's person to person, it's also what we owe to God. The virtue of justice, God is due praise. God is due every Sunday, you being at church. That is what, that is rightfully his. So being a just person in addition to person to person is our relationship with God. Giving God what is due him. Fortitude. Fortitude is perseverance especially perseverance in pursuit of the good. Pursuing good is not, not easy. I mean, the Catholic Church is littered with saints who shed their blood and died for the church. Perseverance, fortitude, is difficult. But if you practice fortitude over and over again, it gets easier. I have a feeling those saints, those great saints who died for the church, didn't just make one good decision. They had a lot of good decisions. They, were, they used their perseverance a lot to get to where they're at. Finally, temperance. Temperance is moderation, uh, mostly in, in to, uh, results of the human, human wants. So sex, food, drink, material goods, etc. Being a temperate person. Working on those virtues. That's what all of, our, all of us are called to be doing every day of our lives. But young people especially. If you're called to marriage, eventually, you're going to need a lot of virtue. All right? A lot, a lot of virtue if you're called to marriage. Same with priesthood. The best priests you know are very virtuous men. Work on the virtues. All of us every day, but especially young people, as you're discerning what your call is in life. Seek out role models. Find people, and Matt Campbell talked a lot about that. Find people. He kept pointing to these specific people in his life. Seek them out. Matt Campbell did a great job of saying, my life was changed because I made a decision to be with that person and model that person. 
That's what you need to do. Seek out good people. Another thing I, I always tell them, uh, young people, I love stats. You're going to hear this a lot. Marriage stats today, 50% of them fail. In the church, it's close to like 38 40%. If you uh, attend church every week regularly, it's 17 to 18%, so that's a little better. If you practice natural family planning, it goes down to 5%. If you pray every day together, gentlemen, if you pray every single day with your wife together, it goes down to less than 1%. For the young people, if you wait to marriage to have sex, 50% better chance of survival. So you have a 50% worse chance of, uh, of remaining married to your spouse if you're, if you're not celibate before marriage. That's pretty, pretty good. I mean, these are good things to know, that if you know how the path is to get there, if you pray with your wife every day and you're committed to her, and you're, we can do this. Um, so building virtue, especially for young people out there, building virtue, that's what we need to do today. All right, you get married. Now, there's two of you. Your goal of getting to heaven, just double. Now, it's you and your wife to get to heaven. So you've just expanded your responsibilities. Catholic Church has uh, seven sacraments, and there's three types of sacraments. There's sacraments of, of initiation, there's sacraments of healing, and there's sacraments of service. So priesthood is a sacrament of service, and marriage is a sacrament of service. So are you, are you married? Did you know at the altar that you had signed up for a lifetime of service? You did. Okay, so he knew that. Most guys don't, and it's too late, so you can't change your mind if it is. So he got lucky. Um, you are signing up for a lifetime of servitude, and I'm not even I'm not being sarcastic about that. It is a sacrament of service. As the priests serve the church, you serve your wife. As Jesus served the church and he died for the church, so you serve your wives. Period. There are so many cliches that are out there that are true, happy wife, happy life, all those things, because if you're serving your wife, if you're serving her 100%, your marriage will be good. It's a sacrament of service. So uh, a couple of stories to share on this. Um, so Matt Campbell talked a lot about his, his upbringing. I'll t- share a little bit about mine as well. So I, I was blessed to have a great father. I've had a great family. We'll hear about a few more of them t- today as well. Um, and my father... Went to Mass every, every Sunday, um, but he wouldn't preach to us. I mean, he, didn't, I mean, he couldn't quote Scripture if he, if he tried. He has a great golf swing. So back to the golf swing thing, his swing playing is where's the hole. I'm, I'm trying to say it. So a little different there. The model of service, I'm one of six, so six kids born in 10 years, um, and he preached to us by his service to my mother and to our children, to his children, my, my, my siblings. He just served every day. He, he, he worked, he made meals, he cleaned, he did all this stuff, and he did it with a smile. Uh, and he still does it today. I mean, I still have examples from last week of him serving our family. And so it was, it was a model that I saw growing up kind of inherently. Fathers, understand that what you're doing, the, the decisions you're making, uh, have an impact. I mean, Matt Campbell talked about it too. The negative impacts of his parents were felt and the positive impacts were felt. So I saw this model of service uh, firsthand growing up. And it really came to a head for me uh, in my probably second year of marriage, somewhere in there. Where, uh, we're sitting around. It's, it's a Saturday or Sunday. It's somewhere on a weekend. And I am watching sports. As I mentioned earlier, very big sports fan. And my wife asked me to, to go somewhere or do something. I said, not right now, hon. This is a, it's a non-negotiable sporting event. <laughs> you have, this is a, a true story. 100% true. I wish I was making it up. And she goes, what's, what's a non-negotiable sporting event? I said, 
honey, it's a sporting event that nothing takes outside of church. Nothing takes precedent. It's a non you can't. It's, it's a non negotiable sporting event. She goes. What's an example of a non-negotiable sport? Oh, okay. Uh, Iowa football game is a non-negotiable sporting event. The Packers, non-negotiable sporting event. I, she goes, are you serious? I'm like, 100%. She goes, you want to make me a list of the non-negotiable sporting events? Of course I want to make you a list of the non-negotiable sporting events. So I made a list of the non-negotiable sporting events. I whittled this list down to 56 non-negotiable sporting events. Don't, you guys would do the exact same thing. It's not hard to get to 56, by the way. I mean... It was actually, I was very generous. I cut out, like, only top 25 games. Like, I was a very kind husband, because service, very important. <laughs> so, I make the list up. And again, not kidding. I make the list. It's, you know, Masters Sunday. I didn't even count the fir- Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the Masters. It's just Sunday. And I hand her the list. And she looks at me, and she goes, Serious? I'm like, yes. She goes, Think about that. And he hands it back to me. So I have quickly realized that was my first foray into the attitude of service uh, in, in marriage. But I've changed a lot since that, that point, understanding that my role as husband is to minister to my wife. I had to put her first. Sports were not the priority. God and my wife are the priority. I was making sports a priority. It was a difficult decision for me, and I'm not even kidding. It was a lot of hard work for me to pull back on a lot of the sports that I had originally prioritized above my wife. Uh, but that was where, where service as a husband really came for me. If you have children, if you're blessed with children, your, your role, your responsibility expands. Now you're responsible for the soul of yourself, your wife, and your children, child of children, to get to heaven as well. Uh, and, I, and I love this. Uh, in the baptism rite, for any of you who had a child baptized... I'm going to read verbatim. I don't want to mince words with the church here. The heretic thing. I don't want to do that. All right. So, celebrant, what do you ask God's church for your child? And you answer, Baptist is good Catholic men. Strong. Um, You have asked to have your child baptized. In doing so, you are accepting the responsibility of training him or her in the practice of the faith. It will be your duty to bring him or her up to keep God's commandments as Christ taught us by loving God and our neighbor. Do you, and they use the word, clearly understand what you are undertaking. You were just tasked with teaching the entirety of the Catholic Church to your children, and you're thinking, ah, oh, gosh, I, oh, yeah, I got it, Father. I got it. I got a brunch, though, after this. Can we move this thing going on? We got, I got to get out of here. I got to skedaddle. Think about that. When you bring your child to be baptized, you, the, the church, in very clear language, is saying that it is your responsibility to teach the, the, the child the faith. How many men, how many people are are taking that up, are actually listening to the call of the church to do that? The home is the school of virtue. That is where virtues are taught. Uh, I think just sending a kid to to Catholic school or sending him to CCD on Wednesday night, that's that's, uh, that's good. It's very good. But that's not the answer. They're they're looking to you. They're looking for your example. Again, Matt Campbell talked about it over and over again. The example he saw from his parents is what stuck with him. The home is the school of virtue. That is where you teach your children. All right, uh, so there's a lot of probably some grandfathers in here, and you're, you're probably thinking, well, <laughs> I already did that. I'm done. Responsibility's over. <laughs> nope, you're not. All right, so Matt Campbell mentioned his grandmother as his biggest influence in his, in his spiritual life growing up. My grandfather, I, w- I was very blessed. I think grandfathers have a very special role uh, in their children. I was lucky to have two unbelievable grandparents. 
uh, my dad's dad, my papu, the, the, the Greek side of me, this guy, uh, it's a funny story, he, so he's obviously from Greece, his dad was Greek, his mom was Greek, they didn't speak English, so he gets to his first day of kindergarten, he said, this kid, this kid doesn't speak English, I don't know what he's speaking, but it's not English, like, get him, get him out of here, he's like, he speaks Greek, well, this is America, and we speak English in America, so figure it out, so my grandfather, from the age of six, had it pretty tough, so he had to, you know, obviously learn English while, while uh, going to school, uh, in his 20s, uh, joined the Army, uh, flew 32, 32 missions, is that right? 32? Look at my, my cousin. I think it was 32 missions uh, and B-17 for World War II, so became a, a patriot um, and just loved this country. And I look, I look at my grandfather as the, the American dream. Guy came from nothing and, and, and grew a wonderful family. The example I saw of him during my life, he just died a couple years ago. He lived to 100, and he always had this goal of living to 100. He went to the gym in his 90s with regularity. His 90th birthday party and his retirement party were the same year. He wanted to live to 100, and he wanted to be able to see his family. He loved his family. It's what he lived for. And I saw that a, a, a man who has a goal can accomplish it. He just, you know, people would be like, you know, young, fit guys. I saw your grandpa at 4 in the morning doing leg lifts. In the, I'm like, dude wants to live to 100. So... He also taught me to love the Hawkeyes, which is another thing that he did. That was a great thing he did. Yeah, see, thank you for my grandfather for doing that. On the other side, so that grandfather taught by example. Very much taught by example and did not use words. My other grandfather used words. He used a lot of them. Uh, so he was very Catholic. Um, his sister was a nun. His mother, my great-grandmother, uh, discerned the convent and then ended up getting married. And what he showed me, he was also very successful uh, in his business, in his life. Uh, and so I saw that a, a strong man, a strong man normalizes faith. He went to daily mass. I saw that a successful man believes in praying. I saw that a successful man has a devotion to his wife. He always said the best piece of advice he can give a young person who's going to get married is marry well. He said, my grandmother, the greatest decision I ever made in my entire life was at age 21 or whatever, marrying your grandmother. He goes, I can see the fruits of that decision in the generation, and the next generation, the next generation. That one decision has, has ripple effect through his life. And so I, I just saw that this, this man who put the Lord first in everything he did, even though he didn't, I mean, he didn't need anything. He had a lot of money. Uh, he had a great family. Um, but he put the Lord first every day. And so I told the story last year. I kind of ended it there. But he taught me lessons throughout my life, even at his funeral. So my grandpa died in October. And he, he was slipping the last... Few, few months. Um, and in October, we're at the, the visitation. And he's 90, 91, 92. He's, you know, he's buried most of his friends at this point. So it's a lot of family and, and friends, uh, mostly dressed in, in suits and whatnot. And at the, right in front of the coffin, there's this African American fellow who's not dressed in a suit, weeping over the, the coffin. And I, re- I remember seeing him uh, during my grandpa's life. His name is Terry. Terry showed up at my grandpa's house when he was 15 years old and uh, just looking for a job. I, I want to work. I need some money. I'm happy to do it. And from that moment, my grandfather took Terry, who's now in his 50s, under his wing. Terry spent some time in and out of jail. My grandpa mentored him forever until his death. And there's Terry sitting at the, at the coffin crying. And he goes, that's the best man I ever knew. He was a father to me. I didn't have a father. He was my father. 
My grandpa teaching me lessons from the grave. Grandfathers, you guys have an important role. A very important role. You can show your grandchildren how to live a good life. Kind of a blessed, you know, blessed be our Giorgio, kind of a blessed be our Giorgio moment. Who do you want to be at your funeral? Who are you serving with today that you want to have at your funeral? Something to think about. So what can we do? How can we live these lives out, these lives of virtue? Number one, you have to pray. John Leonetti, again, here's my hope is the last time I quoted him today. John Leonetti says prayer is spelled T-I-M-E. We have to spend time with the Lord. If you're not praying every day, I just exhort you, do it. There's a reason we scheduled this event a few days before Ash Wednesday. We really want this to be a call to you guys. Father John Ricardo talked about it. Let's use this as an opportunity. I would like to see every man in this room praying 30 minutes every single day, period, by the end of Lent. I'd like to see an hour, but I can only do 30 right now because I have four children and I have to get up at 5 in the morning to do that, so it's hard for me to tell anyone else to do an hour. But if I can do 30, I'm sure a lot of you guys can do 30. If you're doing zero today, maybe don't start at 30. Maybe start at 10. Work your way to 15. These conferences oftentimes get me really excited. I've been in your seats every every single conference plus a lot more. And what sticks is not the feeling of excitement. That's not what sticks. What sticks are the habits you create when you leave and you say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to create this habit. I look back at the habits, at the goals I set years ago, and my goal used to be wake up at 6 a.m. and pray 10 minutes a day. And I look at my goal sheet from the year after, it was wake up at 5.45, pray 15 minutes a day. The year after, 5.30, I can see how I've progressed because I made goals and I, and I tried to approach them differently. I tried to accomplish those goals. Create good habits. Create habits of virtue. If you want prudence, if you want wisdom, you have to pray. You have to spend time with God. How are you going to know what your mission in life is if you aren't talking with God? You have to do it. Schedule it in your day. Wake up, go to bed tonight, look at your calendar for tomorrow, and figure out when you're going to fit that time into pray. It's the most important thing you can do. All right. That's the mission. So now we know the mission. How are we going to accomplish the mission? First thing in the Catholic Church, the sacraments. Let's talk about two of them specifically. The Eucharist and the Sacrament of Reconciliation. With the Eucharist. Um, first off, how many great saints of the church just didn't really have a relationship with God in the Eucharist? How many great saints didn't go to confession? I mean, are there many? Can you guys choose a lot of saints out that just didn't care about the Eucharist or didn't go to confession? Like zero. If they need the Eucharist, if they need confession, how much more do us, how much more do we need it? I, so I had this conversation with a buddy yesterday, and I was <laughs> going to tell this today. He goes, I'm teaching RCIA right now. It's a lot of fun to teach RCIA because I'm learning a lot about the faith. He goes, I, I, don't think I've, I don't think I've learned about the Eucharist in second grade. I'm like, exactly. If you haven't read a book in the Eucharist, and the last time you were taught about the Eucharist was the same way they're teaching a second grader, that means you have a second grade level understanding of the Eucharist. We have to understand the Eucharist. We have to understand why the church teaches what they teach. The early Christian martyrs. Do you know how many of the early Christian martyrs, uh, why they died, what their crime was? Their crime was cannibalism. They were killed because they refused to deny that they were eating body and blood of Jesus. They were told that if you just say it's bread, you're good. They refused to do it. They went to their deaths 
proclaiming that it was, it was the body and blood of Christ, and they refused to do it, and they died. We need to have that faith. So uh, this is not a, I can't do it in the amount of time I have. I'll give you two, two quick recommendations, two books. The Lamb's Supper by Scott Hahn. If you haven't read that, The Lamb's Supper by Scott Hahn. I know you love that book. I think you might have recommended it to me. Uh, and then Vinnie Flynn's Severed Secrets of the Eucharist. Those are the two. You've got to read those two first. After that, there's a lot of other books. But understand, you've gotta, we have to educate ourselves. Our, our education didn't stop in second grade. We need to continue to do that, to push ourselves forward. All right, reconciliation. I'll tell some personal stories in reconciliation. I stayed away from the sacrament for probably a good five years during, during college, and as you may imagine, those are pretty, pretty juicy years that maybe I should have been going to confession for, I imagine. So confession was not always a regular part of, of my life. It just, it just wasn't. It wasn't something I was, I was necessarily comfortable with. Um, and Father Zach Kautsky, uh, many of you guys might know my good friend Father Zach Kautsky, he challenged me uh, when we were friends to make a lifelong confession. He says, all right, you missed a good chunk of years there, and you've been pretty irregular. Why don't you go to adoration, spend an hour in adoration, and write down every single sin you can ever imagine committing, just in case. So when you go to the confessional, when you go to the confessional, think of it uh, like a shower of God's grace, right? So the, the shower faucet's coming on. Imagine you, you've broken your, your hand, you've got a cast over it, and you've got your cast outside. Whatever the water hits gets you clean in the shower, right? But you left this out. Well, the shower's God's grace. If you leave stuff out, you're not receiving the grace you need. So Father Zach told me to make a lifelong confession. I did. It was the greatest feeling I think I've ever had in my entire life was walking out of the confession. I mean, like, I jumped. I couldn't actually jump 10 feet high, but I sure felt like I did. Um, after that, I've made a monthly confession basically every month since, the habit of, of monthly confession. And I've needed it. So I know a lot of you guys here today have probably stayed away from the sacrament uh, as long or longer than I did. And honestly, since I started going, the hardest part for me to go is when I don't feel worthy of going. So uh, I've had times when I've felt completely unforgivable. Uh, I know how if I were the father, if I were father, and my son continued to do the same thing to me over and over and over and over again, I'd probably stop. I'd probably stop. Forgiving him. If my, my son continued to hit me in the face over and over again, spit in my face over and over again, and turn his back to me over and over again, I would probably run out of mercy. We are lucky that our father does not do that. I know what it's like to be stuck in a cycle of sin. I know what it's like to be stuck in a cycle of pornography. I know what it's like to be stuck in a cycle of drinking too much. I know what it's like to be stuck in a cycle of anger. I know what it's like to feel that God cannot reach, that God's mercy won't touch me, because... When you're in those cycles, you feel like, I would not forgive myself if I was God. I wouldn't do that. I, I'm not deserving of it. So I, I have to, in those moments, turn to the prodigal son. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. The prodigal son looks to his father and says, Dad, says, give me the share of the inheritance that I wish that's coming to me. Translation, I wish you were dead. He looks at his father and says, I wish you were dead. Give me the money that, I, that is coming to me now. So he does that. Father gives him the money. He squanders it, not on bad investments or anything, but on prostitution, on living a life of sin. After that, he finds himself below the swine. So swine are unclean animals. They are below anything else 
in Jewish society. You can't even touch the unclean animals. He is below them and wants to eat the food that they have. This guy has blown it worse than anyone in the history of the world. You're having an affair? This guy's got it worse. You're addicted to pornography? This guy's got it worse. You're addicted to alcohol? This guy's got it worse. He's done it worse. God put this guy there. He put the prodigal son where we're at because he wanted to give us an example. He put him all the way down as low as he can go. Then what happens? The prodigal son decides to turn towards the father. I can go to the father. Makes his way back to the father. The father, and this is, this is the, the part that stuck in my head, the father sees him off in the distance and runs. Runs to the son. Why is that important? Jewish men of dignity and respect did not run. The only people who ran were slaves and children. For a Jewish man to run was against all social norms at the time. Our father runs to us. He doesn't care what other people think. He sprints. He sees you off from the distance. He's a sprint to you. In those confessionals, he is sprinting to you. Then what's he do? He brings him in. He throws him a party. He puts shoes on his feet. Why is that important? Putting shoes... You would not put shoes on the feet of someone you think would run away. They did not put shoes on the slave's feet because they didn't want him running away. The father is saying, here, here are shoes. You, can, you are free to move as you please. If you run away again, that's fine. You are in the house. That is the mercy our Father has for us. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to not believe I am deserving of God's mercy. And I turn to that story and I sprint back to the confessional. This is our call to take back whatever is controlling us in our lives. Whether it's pornography, whether it's pride, spiritual sloth, alcohol, drugs, lust, whatever those things are, we need to take control of them now. Lent is a really good time to start doing that. I do want to get specific on one thing. Some people in this room can get over the sins cycles that they're in through prayer, fasting, confession. I know many people who have done it. There are people in this room where that won't be enough. You, you do need to see a clinician. You need to go to AA. You need to see a, a pornography rehab specialist. You need to go to special, uh, sexual addiction counseling. These are real things that need to happen. We need to take our sins seriously. Think about that as you're going through, when you're thinking in your mind, what is keeping me, what cycle of sin am I in? Understand that the options are not just you and God, that there are other options out there professionally that you might need to seek. In your, in your pamphlet, there are some of the, uh, there are some, there's a, the name of a therapist buddy of mine uh, who is in Des Moines who can help for a lot of this stuff as well. So what are the action steps? First off, figure out what is, what is controlling you, what is keeping you from God, and, and attack it. Schedule your sacraments. Go to Mass every Sunday. Never miss it. Go to Mass more than once a week. If you're going every Sunday, go an extra time a week. Schedule it at the beginning of the month, on the first day of the month, schedule monthly confession and monthly adoration. My men's group, we meet every month, the same day of the month, and we go to confession together, and then we celebrate with lunch. Figure out when the monthly adoration time, the monthly confession time can be. And lastly, go home and pray with your wife. Nothing, nothing you can do better to help your marriage than to pray with your wife. All right. Sacraments. So what is our mission? Having the sacraments help us. Lastly, rediscovering authentic Christian friendships. So there's an author uh, who, who writes he's got a lot of really, really good books. One of them is, is Bowling Alone. Um, Robert Putnam is his name. 
And Robert Putnam in Bowling Alone talks about how the, the decline in social capital in America specifically. Um, de Tocqueville, Alexander de Tocqueville, talked about how America was built on these close friendships, these close communities. And that's why America was so successful. But now as we've fragmented out, the decline in those friendships has created more problems than we can imagine in the United States. So the American, average American person, male and female, used to have, on average, 4.5 true actual friends, like real friends. That is down to two, and 25% of people have zero friends, true, authentic friendships. Having fr so this is crazy. Having friends over in the last 20 years has declined 35%. Prior to that, it had dropped 50% since 1960. We're not socializing. We are staying in our houses behind computers and looking at screens and not socializing. Aristotle said, and I think this is great, who would live without friends even if they had every other thing? Who would live without friends even if they had every other thing? Aristotle also talks about two different kinds of friendships. There's friendships of virtue and there's friendships of convenience. Friendships of convenience are the guy you go to, to work with, neighbor who lives down the street, ball game stuff with, with kids. Those friendships of convenience. Friendships of virtue take time, they take energy, they take work. It's people building each other up in virtue, challenging each other. Those are the friendships that we need. Living the Christian life is hard. Being a good husband is difficult. Being a good father is difficult. Living a chaste life is tough. Having the virtues, having the habit of virtues, prudence, justice, temperance, fortitude, having those is difficult. It's more difficult today than ever before because of all the things I mentioned. We need more than ever to have authentic Christian friendships, people that will push us to be great. So, we got time. All right, so... Quick story about my men's group. My men's group was formed, in theory, four years ago Tuesday, this Tuesday, Fat Tuesday. Father Zach called, so John Leonetti had already talked me into doing cold showers for Lent. All right, so today before Lent, what are we doing for Lent? I, I, I on the radio, gotten coaxed into doing cold showers against my will, but I did it. So I said, okay. So I talk about drinking. Guys, I had not taken a weekend off of drinking since I was, like, 15 or 16. And that's not a joke. It's not sarcastic. I... And at this point, I was drinking after work six nights a week. The idea of taking 45 or 90 days off of drinking was literally insanity to me. Father Zach calls me up. We'd interviewed this guy from Exodus 90 on the, on the radio, and he says, Joe, we're doing Exodus 90. I said, no, no, we're not. We're not doing Exodus 90. He goes, we're doing Exodus 90. I bought the package. We're doing Exodus 90. He goes, Father, I don't know how else to tell you this nicely. I'm not doing Exodus 90. So for those of you who don't know, Exodus 90 is cold showers every day, no drinking, no sweets, uh, no TV, no internet, basically, no social media, full fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. It's a lot. I mean, it's, it's just a lot. But especially for me, no sports, no televised sports. So it's just, I, it was so absurd to me. I'm like, I'm not doing it. Not a chance. Again, again the idea of just alcohol and sports alone were, luckily for Father Zach, I had spent an evening at Toppling Goliath Brewery the night before, and 90 days without drinking sounded pretty awesome at that point. <laughs> so I had a three-and-a-half-hour car ride from Decorah with a migraine, a splitting headache, uh, and about hour three, I called Father Zach. I was like, I think I'm ready. 
if there ever was a time, it's now. So we shoot an email off to a couple buddies trying to get more people to join us for this crazy thing because if we're going down on a ship, they're coming with us. Uh, as anyone who's done XS90 knows, it's a lot more fun with other people taking cold showers. So we shoot an email off. And with literally three hours, I mean, this is Tuesday afternoon now. With three hours of heads up, we had four guys say, I'm in for all that crazy stuff. All right. So that started our men's group. So guys, again, that was Tuesday afternoon. You guys got three days to find a men's group. We only had three hours. That men's group has met every Tuesday at 6.30 a.m. for the last four years. That men's group means the world to me. That men's group, we meet every every Tuesday at 6.30 and we push each other to be better, better husbands, better fathers better employees, better men. We hold each other up when we're down. We celebrate each other's accomplishments. We celebrate births. We mourn deaths. Most importantly, we push each other in virtue. Iron sharpens iron. You cannot do this alone. It it is impossible to do this alone. You need good men. You need good men to help you along the way. So what I'm going to challenge you guys to do is, if you're not in a men's group today, if you don't have other men you're doing this with, I challenge you to start a men's group. Exodus 98, I'm not kidding. Back to the Matt Campbell thing. You guys think I'm a Cyclone fan at the end of this deal. He talks about difficult times bonds guys together. Talk about in the football field. The, the hard things they go through, that's what bonded them together. Exodus 90 is a great way to do that. Do something difficult together. Do something difficult in spiritual battle with brothers and you'll grow closer together. I can tell you, we would not still be doing our men's group and by the way, this is our fourth Exodus in a row. We're going to spend an entire year in Exodus, which is insane. But the reason we do it is because it's good. And it's grown our group together, and we're a tighter-knit group than we've ever been before because of that. So start a men's group. Find other guys. Do something for Lent. Meet every week. Push each other. But not just for Lent. You need to do it every, every week of the year. So we are going to send you. We have a lot of email addresses. We're going to send you guys an email. We're trying to start a men's movement in Des Moines. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin... I was at their conference last year. 3,500 men. We had about 700 today, which is awesome. So thank you guys for 700 men. That's awesome. They had 3,500. They have 2,500 guys meeting every single week. 2,500 men meeting in 50 different parishes every week. That's what we need to grow to. We're going to shoot an email off. We want responses. We're looking for leaders. We're looking for other people to help us grow this ministry. We need it. We need this ministry in Des Moines. So we need... For this Lent, I really want you. I want to encourage you guys to find a group to push each other with. Another stat I didn't mention earlier, but I'd be remiss if I didn't. The only, the only leisure activity that is corresponding with a decline in happiness, that the more you do it, the less happy you are, is television. Every other thing out there, if you're playing sports or whatever it is, increase social capital. Television is the only one out there that if you watch, the more of it you watch, the more depressed you get. Fact. These are, this is a fact. Turn off your TV. Throw your TV away. Just throw it away. So turn off the TV and take up fasting. Again, we're doing this during Lent for a reason. We're doing this right before Lent because we really want you guys to take up that mantle of fasting. All right. So what's your mission? Pray about it. Have the Lord talk to you about what is, he is calling you to do. Secondly, embrace the in sacraments. Thirdly, find friends. Find authentic Christian friendships to help you push in that. We're going to head, I'm going to show a short clip. Uh, this is my favorite Lenten movie, uh, Saving Private Ryan. It's a good <laughs> Catholic Lenten movie. 
Um, so for those of you who have not seen Saving Private Ryan, we're just going to show the opening scene. We're just going to show the opening. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> we're not going to show the opening scene. Uh, so Captain Miller is played by Tom Hanks. Uh, so Captain Miller has been assigned to basically go get Private Ryan. Private Ryan had uh, three brothers who had all died in the war. He was the last one. Um, and so this, the, the War Department was trying to f- find a way to save Private Ryan, to get him out of uh, harm's way and bring him back home. What I want you to see in this clip as we enter Lent, as we approach Easter, is the response of Captain Miller. Captain Miller, to me, represents what Jesus is like on the cross. He has gone all the way into hell to save one person. Captain John H. Miller. 
earn this. Come Ash Wednesday, or come Good Friday. Jesus is going to look at each of you and say, earn this. What are we doing in our lives to earn what he's going to do, what he did for us? As I said earlier, the only sadness in life is to not become a saint. The great Saint Thomas Aquinas, when asked, how does one become a saint? He responded with two words. Those are our two words that we're going to leave here today with. St. Thomas Aquinas, when asked, how does one become a saint? He said, will it. Gentlemen, let's will it. Thank you. Give another round of applause for Joe Stopulis. Great job, Joe. <laughs> Gentlemen, we began this conference by feasting our eyes here on Christ Jesus. Uh, Jesus is everything for us. The second person of the most holy trinity, friends, became incarnate, one like us in all things but sin. And one of my favorite passages of sacred scripture is probably the one that is most known, and that is that God, the Father, sent his only Son into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. We have a God, friends, that is interested in saving every single one of you, and myself as well. That's a daily process. And as Joe beautifully illustrated and Coach Campbell, it's a daily grind for many of us. What a conference like this is designed to do is to kind of carve us or help us, inspire us, carve us into the men that God dreams us to be. And that's what God wants. Joe said it, there's no other meaning, reason, or purpose in our life right now than to become those men, to become those saints. And there's not one person in here, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, what you've done in your past, the devil does, and he will live there in your past. You send him back to hell where he belongs. What God wants for us is our now, to be saints. And as Joe said, speaking of St. Thomas Aquinas, we will that. Friends, I want to thank you for gathering here today uh, with us. It was so, uh, such a treat to be able to see so many men. Uh, Coach Campbell, upon leaving, uh, sent me a text, and he said, uh, let them know if they need anything, I'm here for them. And I really appreciated that. And Joe did a great job up here as well. Uh, friends in the back, thank you so much for your generosity uh, as you leave. Remember, any amount that you give goes into future conferences and to helping us continue our men's movement at Iowa Catholic Radio. I want to thank Joe Teeling, Tony Calumet, the executive director of Iowa Catholic Radio, Mike, Tim, all of those that made this today possible. Dan, uh, for, for taking the Holy Mass, and many others that I know some couldn't be here because they were sick today. Let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ Jesus, break into our life. We ask now that you mold us, Lord, by your will into the men that we are called to be. Holy Spirit, be our guide and our strength so that we may become witnesses to a love far greater than us. Mary, Mother of Jesus and our Mother, we ask that you be a mother to us now, that you pray for us, that you give us over, and those that we love in our life as well. 
as you stand at the foot of the cross to your son. Angels and saints, especially our guardian angels in here that fill this room, we ask that you pray for us and all those souls that have died, especially those in our own family, in our own lives. We commend you to God's ocean of divine mercy and ask also holy souls, as you still are the church, to pray for us as well. We give glory and honor to God, not because he needs it, but because in doing so, it reorders our life from disorder, from sin, to the one who brings healing and unity, and that is our Father. As we say, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Deacon Tom, from back there, would you give us your blessing? We wish this God your blessing upon this gathering of men. Your servants call to you. Bring them peace. Bring them courage and wisdom to follow you in all things. We bless you in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Be saints, men. God bless you.